0: Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. If you're going to hold on to bitterness, if you're going to, you know, it's just going to tear you apart. It's going to tear your family apart. It does nobody any good. And if you're going to claim to be a, a follower of Christ, then you really don't have any options.
1: Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Eric. a golden boy. All we can do right now is come Extreme. together. Domestic violence, multiple rapes. Welcome to Life Support, where we talk about story and hope and healing. I'm Steve Johnson from Five Stone Media, not your regular host, who is Pastor Paul, because again, we are reversing the chairs and our host has become the guest. Paul not only is a pastor, but is a survivor of some horrific tragedies, and that's what we want to talk about today. First of all, last time you did a great job on that side of the table, Paul. I know that's a pretty uncomfortable. When you're used to asking the questions, all of a sudden to be put on the hot seat, it's an uncomfortable situation.
0: Yeah, I'm used to interviewing people, not being interviewed. So. I know it, but oh. you, did,
1: you did a great job. So last time we talked about um, the loss of his first wife, Jody, to cancer, which is 20 years ago now and, and kind of raising three kids alone and how he met his current wife, Wendy. But then, in 2013, which is coming up on 10 years, which is really hard to believe, uh, you lost a son to a homicide, and I want to talk about that experience today and everything that went with that, and and just how you've how you've grappled not only with that but with all of this, you know, uh, over the last 20 years. I mean, I as, so I guess we should tell folks I'm Paul's brother. Uh, Steve Johnson from Five Stone Media. So I've watched you go through all that, and you know, my wife Jennifer and I, you know, over the years, Paul, we've just go what What else can happen to Paul and his family? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a good question. I mean, seriously, yeah, I, I know mean, because because not only have those incidents happened, but but the trauma that goes with that is lingering, and it's it's horrific. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like for you guys, it never ends. So let's talk about um, let's talk about Taylor's death um, almost ten years ago and and the circumstances surrounding that. So I'll just open the floor up to you now.
0: Yeah, sure. We were pastoring in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, things were going really well. We'd been there um, five or six years. Um, it was a church turnaround. Uh, the The congregation was doing well. There was not. There were no issues that we were dealing with that were of any great. Uh, substance uh, Taylor had just was just finishing up as a uh, student at a school called Nimbus School of the Recording Arts. He was learning how to be a record producer. He had just uh, moved out of the house and kind of launched uh, into a suburb of Vancouver. And uh, and I um, this was in February and I had was taking uh, doctoral classes at, uh, Phoenix Seminary. So I was in Phoenix. Wendy was at home and, uh, Wendy, um, got a knock on the door and it were, you know, they were homicide detectives and, um, they had gone to the church looking for me. And thankfully one of our pastors, uh, from the church in Vancouver came over with them and Wendy knew this was not going to be good. And they informed Wendy that, uh, Taylor was the victim of a, of a shooting. And so I got that call in Phoenix from her, and I remember her words were, you know, Taylor's not with us anymore, and I thought she was talking about like he had, you know, moved out of the province or something right. like that. I, I couldn't mm-hmm. grapple with really what she was saying to me. And so she explained a little bit of the situation, and then I got on the phone to a homicide detective, and that's when, for me, it really started to get real, uh, he started to give me counsel about when I needed to come back and what I needed to do. Um, we uh, met immediately with them when I returned back home, uh, and they filled us in. But here is the hard part is we knew that he had been killed, but we did not know how. We did not know where. We didn't know who uh, for about eight months because they couldn't tell us anything. To, it would have compromised their investigation we had really great detectives from an organization called ihit which is an immigrated homicide investigation team all of the municipalities in vancouver share they were really compassionate hard working guys uh, wendy would always embarrass them they'd come to the house and she'd always say well can i pray with you guys before you go and you know these big men would like well, well okay you know and she would pray with them but i think they they liked that you know somebody actually was caring for them but we went eight months not knowing, um, and it was very, very public. I finally found out where it was because I had to go pick up his car and uh, with a friend of mine, so I was able to see the place where it happened. Um, you know, they had the helicopter flyovers like they do, you know, it's kind of like living through a movie. But um, we lived in fear for those eight months because um, we didn't know if it was a gang. Or we didn't know if it was, you know, someone that that he knew or didn't know. And then we were dealing with the shock and the grief and the public nature of it. It was in all the newspapers. We had to do a press conference. Um, but we made, a, we made a pact at the very beginning of the process, and we said, we're going to forgive this person, whoever it is, for whatever they did, because we're Christ followers, and we're going we're gonna to teach people what forgiveness is. And God gave us a lot of public opportunity to do that during this phase of our lives,
1: talking with our host Paul Johnson, who's just sharing the experience of losing his son Taylor, and you were a senior pastor of in Canada. It was a very large church, and so it was in Vancouver a very public, uh, a very public thing. In fact, you can you can Google it, and it's you know you can it's all still, still find, there. It's all still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember, as your brother, I remember that night uh, you called me, and it was really late in Minnesota. Uh, it was probably close to midnight, and to tell me the news about Taylor's death, and you said, "Would you go tell mom and dad?" Mm-hmm. And so I I said, "Of course, you know." But you know, so I I called Taylor's grandparents. And I said, you know, my wife Jennifer, I said, we're coming over to see you guys. And this was like 1230 at night. And so they had assumed it was probably one of our kids we were going to talk to them about. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was that was a long 15-minute drive yeah. to their house. Sure. So like, how do you – but God, God had prepared their hearts too. So when we got mm-hmm. there, we were able to share about Taylor and what had happened. And, and God gave them grace to take that news. Mm-hmm. and And they always – were just wonderful in in yeah. how they dealt with that Yeah, you they know were. um it, it yeah. Was, but so let's let's just go back now to you as a pastor and and talk about um your visits to the the kids you know the the initial visits to the to the gang members and and that whole experience
0: yeah um well at the end of the 8 months um Finally finally, they came over and said we're going to start making arrests and um, what I had learned is that they had this big undercover operation going on this whole time and I was really kind of surprised that they had 30 personnel working on it and it was quite extensive and they they said before they left uh, we brought our media person here from from our office and we want you to record a video for the in case the shooters aren't cooperating, we want to be able to show them a video of you and Wendy saying, please, please help. You know, this is our son. And so we did. And then and then one of them said, but Mr. Johnson, he said, we, you know, it's rare, never really happens. But would you be willing to come over and talk to them if if they aren't cooperating? But, you know, it, it never happens. I said, sure. Of course, you know, you're saying yes to everything because yeah. you have no idea what you're doing. So sure enough, the next day, they started making arrests. I got a call in the morning, and they said, we needed you to come over, and uh, I, I I sat, and they brought me upstairs to um, one of those rooms, like on Law & Order. Maybe it was the very room. I'm sure, maybe they shot Law & Order there, for all I know, but it sure looked like the same kind of deal. And I talked to the driver, and he was a hardcore um, gang guy, and he didn't say a word. He just stared at me the whole time. And I remember that I said, I thought, I might as well give him the gospel. So I did. You know, I told him Jesus could change his life. And and we walked out, and the detective said, I'm so sorry he didn't talk to you. And so I went home, and then about 10 o'clock, because this is very rare, they called again. And uh, we have the shooter. He's not talking. And so then I went down there by myself, and I met Jesse for the first time. Jesse is the one who actually did the shooting. And uh, Je- I walked in to see Jesse, and I encountered a a scared um, kid who was a couple years older than, than Taylor, um, who was crying. Uh, they had just showed him a picture of Taylor for the first time because this all happened in the dark. They had just walked right over Taylor after they shot him, and he said he was sorry, and I remembered what Wendy and I had decided about forgiveness. And I was rummaging through scripture in my mind. And I remembered the scripture that Jesus said, you know, don't go make it right here with me until you've made it right with your brother. You know, it's more important. And so I looked at him and I said, you know, we'll work on forgiving you. I gave him the gospel as well. And then he, he kind of walked toward me, and I was a little afraid because he was bigger than I was. And I'm surprised the detective let him do this because he wasn't handcuffed, but he came over and gave me this huge hug, and we embraced uh, in the middle of that interview room. And I'm really glad that happened because as the criminal part of this started to, you know, um, begin, and I think people don't realize when you go through something like this, it's like three years before you're done, you know, it takes a long time that moment gave us an opportunity to see him as a human being who was in need of, you know, Christ, in need of someone to love him. Uh, His sister reached out to us and apologized. His mother reached out to us. And uh, the next day we had to do um, a press conference and we were able to tell the city of Vancouver that we're Christ followers. And because of that, we're working on forgiving these people. And I remember we were driving home, and we pulled up at a drive through They have those in Canada. Um, <laughs> and the talk radio station topic of the day was, Would You Forgive the Killer of Your Son? And, and I knew then that God was using this in amazing ways.
1: Yeah. Um, talking with Paul Johnson, who's the regular host of this show, but Paul today, I'm Steve Johnson, Paul's brother and and uh, director of Five Stone Media, one of the sponsors of this program. Um. <clears throat> So Jesse was the, the killer of your son, Taylor. But you sort of built a relationship with Jesse, and you went to visit him in prison. And I know there have been some letters that have been written to him by your kids, or at least one of your children. Talk about that visit to him yeah. in prison.
0: You know, um, right before we moved here in 2016 to Pastor Ridgewood Church, uh, we had an opportunity to sit down with him for an entire day um, at the medium security prison where he was housed at that time. And uh, what the what the province of British Columbia didn't know was that their victim um, services representative was a former pastor. And um, he said they would never let me do this if they knew I was a pastor. But he knew what we were trying to do. And so he kind of brokered this meeting, and and we just sat and talked with him about Christ and uh, every which way tried to give him the gospel. And we told him that we, you know, we we forgive you. We're, we're angry. We're, we're hurt. But we want you to change your life. And so we, we gave him some material. Um, we left, moved here. Um, they have a that same service is still operative, and so— um, I was able to send him a number of correspondence. They still contact me when something changes um, with him, which is good and bad because you think you're over it and then all of a sudden one day you get a uh, an email from them and you have to kind of relive the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesse is um, back in jail. I don't know what happened with his parole, but we still pray for him. And my daughter said it best. She said, Dad, why would we want two young men to lose their lives through this? Mm which I thought was really profound because what Jesse needs is Christ he doesn't have a, he didn't have a father in his life he didn't have any any center of his life at all and so you know what I'm not a big hero for trying to forgive Jesse because it's actually the practical thing to do if you're going to hold on to bitterness if you're going to you know it's just going to tear you apart it's going to tear your family apart it does nobody any good and if you're going to claim to be a, a follower of Christ, then you really don't have any options, to be honest. And either you are or you aren't. And so you have to model Christ during times like this, and you have to act like him. But it's still a process, and it goes on for a long time. And there are days when I want him to stay in jail the rest of his life. Yeah. And then there's days where I go, like, let him out. You know, he needs help, you know, yeah. and I kind of go back and forth. But, yeah, the relationship was built. He doesn't understand why we want to forgive him. So he he does understand that that this is different. There's something strange going on. And um, my hope is, is that there's chaplains and so forth in, in in these prisons and in these halfway houses that are ministering to them.
1: I know one of the things that, you know, you're still human, Paul. So I, I know f- forgiveness, you said, is the practical thing to do, but you're still human. And I know one of the things that you maybe struggled with a little bit was the fact that he had only served um, not a long time for the murder of your son. Yeah right yeah you got a
0: he got nine years, but it was with two years served, so he only yeah. got a seven year sentence in in parole after five years, yeah, and that was hard to swallow um but we were in a different country, and they do things differently up there, so there's nothing we could do but you know th- there again you you go, okay, who's really in charge of this whole thing, and you realize that God is overseeing this entire thing you know I, I, that's my theology, I believe it hundred percent and there will be, when Jesus comes back one day and sets up his kingdom, there'll be justice for all of us. We'll all realize what's right, what's wrong, what we you know, haven't done and done. And if we were the righteousness of Christ, we'll, we'll march into heaven on, uh, because of the Lord, not because of us. But I could, I could grapple with that in a different way because I knew that at the end of the day, God's justice would reign. Yeah. Now, I hope that he will receive Jesus as his Savior so Jesse can march into heaven with the righteousness of Christ. And that's what Taylor would have wanted because Taylor was a forgiving, gentle kid. He would have said, Dad, like, Dad, you don't know him like I do, Dad. You, you need to forgive him. Mm. That's exactly what he would have yeah. said. But it, but you, forgiveness is a a journey. I think sometimes it's easier to forgive that than it is to forgive the people that are right next to you on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah. One, um, at Five Stone Media, we work with a lot of parents who have lost children. And one of the common things that they tell us is that uh, people are afraid to ask them about their kids, right? Like, mm-hmm. I want you now, tell us what kind of a person Taylor Johnson was. Taylor was an amazing kid. He
0: was um, he was a warm and gentle uh, kid. Uh, when his mom was sick with cancer, he would come home from school and he would crawl in bed with her. Um, that's the first thing he would do every day. When we moved to Canada, he, he, he wanted to be accepted, so he learned how to play hockey. He'd never played hockey before. He learned how to be a goalie because he knew they needed goalies <laughs> all the time. Um, he, but, but this is what got him in trouble. He, along with that came naivety. He thought everybody was like him. And there were people that were taking advantage of him. There were people that set him up that night to be in a place where he shouldn 't have been where he was in danger and he didn 't understand the danger. Um, but when I see pictures of him, his eyes are 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 warm and gentle, and um, he was a special really special young man for sure
1: yeah he had he was extremely likable his yeah his personality he was. was extremely likable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had other kids at the time uh so we had talked last time about losing your first wife Jody you remarried Wendy um sort of had a 2 year old that came into your family and then you guys had twins and talk about how the trauma has continued how it how it it wasn't just a period of grief after that it's something that continues the violence
0: aspect of the event had a huge effect on the children we have 15 year old twins who were six at the time Um, they reacted in in different ways but the trauma sent them literally into years of uh, of counseling Um, we visited uh, numerous psychiatrists psychologists um, and I would say just now they're starting to get some traction all that time later um, because they thought how could somebody why would somebody hurt our brother and then the fear, the fear of our world, the rug of security just got pulled out from under us. And that's a big deal, and I don't think people really understand that. And that's what happens when 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 a tragedy happens to you, whether it be a car accident, whether it be a shooting like this, your world changes. It's not safe anymore. Mm-hmm. I used to I used to fly and, and and you flew with me to Israel and you experienced this. I would lay my head down, I'd be like wheels up, sleep, wheels down, wake up. Now I'm terrified because I know that bad things can happen, and it's somewhat subconscious, so you have to work through these things. I've seen them struggle in their spiritual walk. I've seen them doubt God. I've seen them try to fill this hole in very um, unhealthy ways. And so I know that there's a tremendous struggle going on inside each of them still. Yeah. And um, I have to trust God with that because he loves them more than I do.
1: Yeah. Now you're pastoring a church, and and God is uh, in the process of redeeming that story. He's given you guys, you and Wendy, a tremendous platform to share your story. You've been able to go into several prisons and share Mm -hmm. the story. Um, Talk about that experience inside a prison.
0: It's amazing to go to prisons. And, like, um, the reason they invite us is we're there to talk about reconciling with your um, the family that, you know, you yep. committed a crime against. Um, and the prisoners are all ears because they want to reconcile, but they don't know how. And sometimes they, you know, it's not as simple as writing a letter because some of them aren't allowed to. So when when we tell our story, and really Wendy's the star of these things, like Wendy is, uh, they, they see Wendy, I think, as a as a mother or something, and they can really relate to her part of this story. And the, when we went to the Faribault prison, for example, they had all the murderers in the front two rows, which sounds like really weird, <laughs> but they're the ones who could relate to the story. Mm-hmm. And they all came up after, you know, or, you know, a lot of them, and it was this kind of breath of hope for them. Yeah. Like, how do we do this? Can we do this? Because they're and a number of them have accepted Christ, and they would say things like, you know, we're more alive for Jesus than we've ever been, and they're there for life. And uh, so it is an amazing experience, it's a prison ministry kind of thing. I admire people that do prison ministry. It's hard, I know, but it's definitely worthwhile.
1: And you can find out more. Uh, you can hear more of Paul and Wendy's story um, if you go to lifesupportresources.org. There's um, a video series called The Worst Loss, and it's mm. parents who have lost kids, and Paul and Wendy's story is featured there. And also, you tell your story, Paul, of both losing your wife and your son, and uh, a devotional called God is Always With You, um, 31 Days of Hope and Healing for Grief and Loss, and I'm, I'm not here to promote the devotional, but I think it could be a help to some people mm-hmm. just to hear your guys' story, and to get that, you can get a link at Five and many Stone. many other stories that <laughs> are many, tremendous. Yeah, you go to fivestonemedia.com with a link to that story. Um, as a pastor, we have a couple more minutes here, but only a couple more minutes. So as a pastor walking through all of that, um, areas areas that have been a challenge and areas where your experiences have been a help. Challenge has been
0: who do you talk to about it and when and how much. You know, um, I, I could use it as a sermon illustra- illustration, a lot, and I'm never quite sure if, it's, if, if I've talked about it too much or not enough. I want to create a transparent church. I want to create a church that's vulnerable. Wendy would say you never talk about it. So I know I have some work to do on that. Um, the, the joy of it has been when people find out what's happened to us, they come out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. Um, let me tell you what happened to us. Let me tell you what happened to us. Can you help me with this? Um, and you have immediate credibility with people because they know some of your story. And that's been something that I think God has really used in our lives to help us to not only have empathy for people, but to help them to trust us.
1: Yeah. In, in your story, you include a Bible verse that's very familiar to a lot of the listeners here, but it's Romans eight thirty eight and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So just offer offer a minute of hope here to somebody who feels hopeless right now. There is nothing that circumstances,
0: a criminal, Satan can do to separate you from the love of God. That's not only a hope for you. It's a hope for the people that maybe you're grieving over, that Jesus never left them. There's hope for the person that you're praying for that's maybe struggling with addiction or struggling in other areas of their life. That's a real promise. It's not just a nice little uh, verse. And so believe the promises of God and pray that God would cement your faith and drill that promise deep into your heart.
1: Yeah, Paul is senior pastor or lead pastor of Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. I know people, uh, if somebody's listening, no matter where, can always reach out to the church, right?
0: Yep, easy and to find. Go Just go on the website, Ridgewood Church, and uh, our emails are all there. You can always just shoot me a note.
1: Yep. You have done a great job here for two shows. So have you. You're not bad. They're going to probably fire me and hire you. <laughs> Uh, I, I the kind could, of money we're making here, it's going to be a big <laughs> transaction. I could make that happen. So our guest has been Paul Johnson, who's normally the host of this show, but Paul's been the guest talking about his stories of loss, and which really has made him the perfect host for this show, Life Support. Over the last almost three years now, we've been telling these unbelievable stories of hope and grief and loss and... Second chances and all of that. It's quite an honor to sit
0: here and talk to people about these stories and their lives. It is an honor,
1: for sure. Thank you, Paul.
0: Thank you, Steve.
1: So I hope you'll join us next week where Paul will be back in this chair right where he belongs here on Life Support.